Imagine one of the biggest local media companies exploring electronic delivery of content a decade before the internet came along. Imagine that company seizing every opportunity that came along after that to capitalize on the digital future. From bulletin boards, to the World Wide Web, to the creation of PurePlay.com companies, and a vast network of local information sites across the nation. By the late 1990s, the brash CEO pulled up his East Coast roots and relocated to Silicon Valley. Whatever happened to that company? In this podcast, we talk with Tony Ritter, the former CEO of Knight Ritter, seeking insights as to why all the right moves never seem to pay off. Welcome to the Local Marketing Trends Podcast, bringing you unique insights from two of the industry's brightest analysts and forecasters, Corey Elliott and Gordon Burrell. Today's podcast is sponsored by Frequence, the future of media. And by The Weather Company, the world's leading weather provider, offering data and visualizations that broadcasters need. Welcome in, everybody, to this episode. My name is Corey Elliott. I'm one of the hosts here. With me, as always, the one, the only, Gordon Burrell. Hello. Hello, everybody. Hello, Corey. Hello. How are you doing, Gordon? Doing great. Excited about uh, today's show and the interview. But the intro, that was kind of a sad, it was one of the saddest <laughs> intros I've ever heard. It was kind the of a right downer, moves, wasn't it? The, the right, right moves, moves never seem to pay off. Never, yeah, I know. It's kind of a Eeyore kind of an introduction. <laughs> this episode, we're talking newspapers, so maybe there is kind of an Eeyore to it. I mean, hold on now. Newspapers, Knight Ritter was more than just newspapers. They own TV stations as well, quite a few of them. Yeah, true. Um, true. And other media. I mean, they have had an amazing run. And my first intersection with them really was with Viewtron. Viewtron was the first bulletin board uh, out there, one of the first ones not connected to the internet, 1985, 86, that was delivering news and information to other home computers. And it was just such a remarkable thing in the newspaper industry back in 85. And and that was out of the San Jose Mercury News. Um, In fact, the... Columbia Journalism Review did an article about 10, 12 years ago entitled something like the newspaper that almost sees the future. Yeah. About the San Jose Mercury News. Yeah. And all the innovations that were happening then, they almost had it. You know, it's amazing to me when you look at all the right moves and never playing out, you want to go back. And I think that's the purpose of this podcast and say, well, what went wrong? Yeah. And, you know, they, they started Viewtron. They got involved in CompuServe. They didn't turn their backs on this stuff at, at, at Night Ritter and all these newspapers, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Miami Herald, San Jose Mercury News, Kansas City Star, so many papers. They got involved in the mid-90s, 1995, in Infinet, which was an internet access company. Wait, wait, wait. That name, you had something to do with yeah. that, right? And then that was... Yeah, it was Infinite was, I can't say that I really created it, but I did create, uh, go out and make the deal that created Infinite. There you go. Um, and we recruited in Tony Ritter and Knight Ritter when they were still in Miami as a partner in that deal. One of three partners, it was Landmark Communications, Knight Ritter and Gannett. And it started where I was in Norfolk with a very small company. And then we brought in Knight Ritter. And so they were in on that. It was an internet access and hosting company. And so they were putting all their newspapers on the internet through this new company called Infinet. And I remember taking Tony Ritter, our, our subject, the CEO of Knight Ritter, it took him back to the airport in my car. And I said, Tony, this is in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking of starting my own business as a precursor to Burrell Associates. Uh, if there's only one thing that you can tell me, just one thing that would help make me successful, what would it be? And he said, Hire smart people and try to stay out of their way. 
Oh, and well. that just really, really, you know, stuck with me, despite the fact that I hired you, Corey. I was just going to, I was waiting for the straight line. <laughs> I, I was waiting for it. I had a couple ready to go, but there you go. You beat me to it. <laughs> you know, and then when I started the company, I went to uh, Clay Christensen at Harvard, author of The Innovator's Dilemma, and wanted to do a project looking at companies like Knight Ritter and Tribune and doing you know, disruptive innovation applied to big companies, media general, TV and, and newspaper and radio companies. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tony was in. So Tony was in on that project. And when we told him, look, there's a whole lot of trouble ahead here. And this was in 2001, 2002. We met with him out in um, in San Jose and said, right. look, you know, here's what we think is going to happen with recruitment classifieds and with real estate and automotive, which at the time was probably 50% of newspaper advertising revenue. And to a T, it all happened. And then by 2006, boom, everything collapsed. That's what's exciting to talk to somebody like Tony is because I'm a big fan of history and history tends to repeat itself and there's a lot of lessons to be learned. So being able to talk to this guy and, and see where his head was at and how it all played out can teach us a lot of lessons about right now and going forward. Yeah, I was delighted to to speak with him. He is uh, 82, soon to be 83 years old. And I asked him to take a look back and say, you know, what was it? What was the thing that where you make all the right moves, but you fail? You know, not such a depressing thing, but let's look back and see if we can have a lesson on that. So remember that one thing that I said, you know, hire smart people was his take on how a business becomes successful. Hire smart people, get out of their way. But let's get to that interview right after this. Automate your digital advertising workflow with the only platform that does it all. Frequence connects every part of your process, sales, operations, and reporting from beginning to end. Frequence's all-in-one platform makes advertising automation possible. The future of media is here. Visit Frequence.com to get started. The Weather Company combines enterprise-class production tools and visualizations with advanced weather data to help television broadcasters create more personalized weathercasts across platforms, whether they're watching at home, on television, or on their mobile devices on the go. The Weather Company's suite of products will engage audiences throughout the day and keep them coming back for more. Visit us at ibm.com weather. Okay, Gordon. So I just want to let our listeners know we're setting up this one a little bit differently. We're going to talk a little bit and then refer to Tony. Is that correct? That's right. Tony P. Anthony Ritter set it up a little bit. His family owned uh, the newspaper business, gosh, 100 years or so. Tony started out as a reporter, I believe, in, in Duluth in the early 60s. Very notable career. He, in 1986, he was sent to Miami to take over the newspaper division of, of Knight Ritter, then I think the second largest newspaper company. He was California Publisher of the Year. He was Adweek's Newspaper Executive of the Year. He was Chairman of the Associated Press. Lots and lots and lots of uh, of credentials. And then it all kind of collapsed in 2006. Yeah. So we wanted to find out what went wrong, not with having to sell to McClatchy and Knight Ritter just eventually you know, going away, but really what happened with all the information that was collected over that period of time, two full decades of experience with digital distribution of content. I asked him why he wasn't able to figure it out. So listen closely to his response. I would say the problem was that none of us were far enough to figure out that services like Google. I mean, we had a search of our archives 
but not search of everything like Google. Even though we advertise, we uh, invested in a social networking company, and we were like a twenty percent investor. You know, we could see there was some potential there, but we didn't. You know, we didn't see that Facebook would become the powerhouse company that it's become. So, you know, we were looking more at how we transition from print to the Internet and, you know, how we can best utilize the Internet. But we didn't figure out the big things like Google and Facebook. So, Gordon, it sounds like it comes down to the old jobs to get done. And at that time, a lot of media companies weren't weren't thinking this way. They were content producers, and and that's it. And everyone would just beat a path to their door for their amazing content. Meanwhile, there are other companies that you mentioned out there that were solving this jobs-to-be-done thing. For oh, absolutely. Yeah, and what struck me was some of the first words out of his mouth would say, I'd say the problem with none of us was smart enough. Yeah, remember what I said where he said, "Well, hire smart people." In that way. He yeah. he perceived that he had hired smart people, but it was just not smart enough. <laughs> <laughs> not smart enough. Making all the right moves, everything that seemed like the right move, but you know, I think that there was a lot to be said for the the power behind newspapers at the time and the money in it as well. I think that was a big, big, big issue. Mm-hmm. So I asked him if he could have done anything differently. Let's say, you know, maybe it was inevitable that it happened, right. or maybe he could have done something differently. Looking back, he said the phenomenal size of the print business, which I just referred to, right? right. And the profitability of it is what maybe have blinded the industry to seeing the future. Listen to what he said. We made our money on print, but we knew we had to go electronic. And so, you know, there was internal resistance you know, at the newspaper level, to push the internet when kind of the big bucks were in the print and remained in the print up until we sold the company in 2006. And so, you know, where our model was always 82, 83, 84% advertising, you know, 18, 17, 16% circulation revenue. That model is completely flat. Gordon, man, do I believe that. I think a lot of media companies were blinded by uh, their own talent, meaning that they, they thought the content would supersede the delivery mechanism, right? So our content is so good, no one is going to care how it comes to me. I, I think they didn't count on the power of convenience. Well, it was a thing that Dave Morgan said at our conference in Miami back in March. You know, content is king. That's the mantra of anybody, you know, in the newspaper industry for, for decades. Content is king. You know, and what did Dave say? Well, content can be king, but distribution is King Kong. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. And I think that's another thing that that blindsided everybody. And, and, and the internet was all about distribution. You yeah. know, it was no longer did you need to cough up hundreds of millions of dollars to buy this giant printing press, you know, or secure an FCC license for, you know, a television station. Any fool would have distribution as we see on TikTok and as we yeah. see on Facebook and on Instagram, things like that. So it's a shame because I think Tony's, I know Tony's heart really was in newspapers, in his family for more than a, a century. So I asked him about this trend with regard to community-minded 
philanthropists. I also asked him about radio and TV. We'll get to that in a moment. But I wanted to know what he thought about all of these wealthy people mm-hmm. buying up hometown, their hometown paper. And, you know, to my surprise, he called it a healthy trend. And I asked him if he might step in and buy a paper himself. Take a listen. I don't think so. I'm 82, about to become 83, and I don't think that I would do that. You know, where I'd be more inclined to do it is back in San Jose, where I started out. But it's a big undertaking, and I, I think it's great that they're, they're providing local news, because there's certainly a lack of local news, but it's not something that I'm ready to take on. Where it works, really, it's generally in smaller communities where there's more of an intense interest in local news. Gordon, there's only one thing that terrifies me about that. What's that? The Musk effect. The <laughs> yeah, can we, tr- can no. we trust that every philanthropic billionaire doesn't have their head up their uh, ears? Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Or has no, some no, political just, uh, agenda? No, no. It, it, he's talking about smaller communities. What really uh-huh. works, you know, it, where it really works is generally smaller communities where there's an intense interest in local news. But even that, you know, I think it has to be philanthropic. It's not going to be anything that, that that makes money or a significant amount of money. So the question is, does the, it's not going to be a billionaire, you know, I'd be somebody who's been very successful in business and is willing to take a loss, you know, 100,000, yeah. a couple hundred thousand a year just to keep the newspaper going. You know, or maybe it's charitable contributions from the community that keeps it going and there's, you know, there's no loss to an individual. Right. But I do think that will probably occur in smaller communities where these pockets of, you know, uh, news deserts, let's say. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the only place it could occur. I would agree. It's fairly heartening that, you know, that type of thing is happening. Surprisingly, though, you know, uh, to me, because I thought, okay, this guy's steeped in newspapers. You know, and as we've heard before when we've had others on the show, newspapers, TV stations, radio stations, you know, ah, they're going to be around. No, he doesn't think newspapers are going to be around 10 years from now, except Mm -hmm. three national papers that he mentions and and one or two maybe big city newspapers like, you know, Chicago or Washington, which I guess is more of a national newspaper. Here's what he said when I asked about whether any print newspapers would be around 10 years from now, and then check out what he said about the future of local broadcast radio and TV. I think that the national papers, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, I would put the Washington Post in there, and you know maybe a few others, the LA Times, will still have a print business in addition to the online. But most of their revenue will come from online subscriptions. I think across the country, though, that regional papers will probably not be in print anymore. They might have a internet online edition that might be seven days a week, that might be five days a week. There will be an online component of the newspaper, but it will still exist. And I think in Kansas City and, you know, St. Louis and Cincinnati, there'll be an online newspaper, and there probably won't be a print edition. And if there is a print, it might be one day a week, but probably not. Then I think you'll have, in the smaller communities, you'll have weekly newspapers. It'll do just fine. They thrive on real estate advertising. So you'll have that. 
Okay, then you go to TV. I think that local TV will still be around because people still like to see the video. I know they get so much of the video from you know, national news programs, but they want local video. They want local weather and video. So I think local TV stations, my guess is they will still be around. They will be less successful than they are today, but I think they will survive. I don't really see radio because you've got, you know, all these services like Sirius, XM, and that kind of thing that they're really causing radio to be bypassed. So I, I don't see a great future for radio. I think television would be some diminished, but there'll still be a, a need for for local television and local news. Let me say first off, I love my job. I actually love doing uh, what I did. I love the newspaper business. I was so happy every day to go to work. I was happy when I came home. So I've been very fortunate to go through that period. Would I have had the ability to figure out Facebook? Probably not. Would I have had the the ability to figure out Google? Probably not. I mean, if I could have, that would have been great. But as I look back over my life, I am so lucky that I had the opportunity to work in the newspaper business at a time when newspapers were, were so essential to communities, to daily life, to education, to keeping politicians honest. I mean, I, it was such a great time. Gordon, again, I, th- I think we're back to that age-old discussion of content versus delivery. I, now I wonder if there's a couple other elements that need to be considered, and, it, and it's consumer lifestyle, which includes things like urbanicity and income levels. I think that probably dictates whether local news, including advertising, should be delivered digitally or, or once a week in print, as he says. And then recency, meaning you know, breaking news will never be satisfied by a weekly newspaper. That's not going to happen. In-depth journalism can be. And are there pockets of like smaller towns that crave someone to tear apart the school board meeting? Could it work in a small college town, I bet? I think it could. Uh, it could work in, I think, capital cities, you know, mm-hmm. Richmond, Virginia, Madison, Wisconsin, et cetera, where there's, you know, there's there's a lot of, of activity. There's a lot of government-related businesses and interest. But, you know, I wanted to ask him about the future and where things are, are headed. And so here's his response to my question. Let's look forward. Let's not look in the past and see all the stuff that's happened and why didn't, you know, this occur or that occur. Where are the big opportunities? Here's what he said. I think going forward, the, the big opportunities are Amazon. I think it's delivering information electronically. But I, I think it's the big companies, Apple, Amazon, Google, Microsoft. I don't know where AI is going. I mean, I, I think that's a really dangerous development. So AI will be a big factor. Gordon, wow, wow this, this kind of made me stare at the wall when I heard it. Here's what I heard. Amazon and AI. I mean, he didn't mention Google in, in the others, but the first thing out of his mouth was, 
Amazon. What the hell could Amazon do leveraging AI to monetize, literally monetize information and local information and personal information? Holy hell. Well, I happened just by coincidence the other night to see a segment of Jeff Bezos on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. So this was 20 years ago, right? Okay. And Jay Leno was grilling on them. Isn't your company just continuing to lose money? And Bezos had this little wry smile saying, yes. So there's the first kind of weird thing. Okay, company's got to lose money and lose money and lose money and lose money. What it's doing is it's aggregating and getting this giant audience. So it's getting, you know, ahead, right? Then the other thing I think that people just don't really realize, they apply too much analysis to Amazon, is Amazon just makes it simple. Of course, uses lots and lots of of data and knowledge and things like that, but it makes it simple. How simple is it? And how much do we buy because it's so simple? Just go on Amazon and get it, and it gets Mm -hmm. delivered to your house. Just click buy now. Don't even enter your credit card number. It's already there. It's already stored. They don't ask you, are you sure? You know, it's like I can even tell my Alexa, you know, to reorder something, refrigerator, water filters. And they go, okay, it's on its way. I'll be here Thursday. Yeah. So Amazon is taking that now to the advertising world. And going to make buying advertising really, really easy. Now, here's where AI could come in. Because we always harp on, yeah, buying ads are one thing. Who's making the marketing decision, right? Who's coming up with that? Now, that's where AI could help. So, yeah, you can place the ads, but I can tell you where and why. Yeah. So, as you mentioned, I think that's a really dangerous development. I I would call it a potentially dangerous development, maybe because I'm an optimistic guy. (laughs) <laughs> um, but that one is definitely worth putting on the radar, beginning to study more. I, I don't even know where that's headed. I'm with him. I don't know where AI is going. I think it's a really dangerous development. I assume it's going to be really big. And I'm reading his response verbatim here, a yeah. big, big factor in the future. Something we all have to keep an eye on, especially as it comes to news and information. Yep. Oof. Anyway. See, and now you're wondering why was the intro so depressing. <laughs> Let's think of uh, bright things. We've got the local advertiser survey coming up. We're going to start pulling out some results from that and talking about what advertisers are doing. And that's coming up over the summer, our charts of the week over the summer. And we're still trying to concoct a uh, a summer series. We haven't settled on the topic yet. But if you have any suggestions, yeah, send them us to know. us. Send them to podcasts at com. We'd love to hear them. Excellent. And the next podcast, the introduction will be very, very chipper. Chipper. (laughs) I look forward to it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. You've been listening to the Local Marketing Trends Podcast, sponsored by Frequence and by The Weather Company. If you have submissions or ideas for future shows, or if you'd like to be a guest, email the hosts at podcast at Thanks for listening. And remember, market well.